Well, hey there, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Just Asia podcast. My name is Kevin O'Shea, and I'm your host for this podcast where I chat with expats living their best lives in Asia, doing different things, living in interesting cities, working in interesting careers. And this week, we are back. A little bit of a delay. As you guys know, I have been settling in a new country in Malaysia. And although the process has been relatively smooth, it takes a bit of time. So as I'm recording this episode of the Just Asia podcast, I'm back. Well, I shouldn't say I'm back. I'm in my new house, my new apartment, for the very first time to record. It's actually our first full day living in our new apartment in Penang, uh, in an area called Batu Ferengi, which is known as uh, a resort area. And actually, not a lot of people actually live in this area. It's more of a tourist area. It's outside the city of Georgetown, which is the main uh, city. Um, I've shared some pictures of historic Georgetown already on the Just Asia podcast Facebook page, and uh, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of neat influences, everything from traditional Malay um, to Uh, the Indian Hindu background uh, influence to also uh, the Mandarin Chinese. So it's it's quite a multicultural place. And not to forget the British colonial influence as well. So it's a neat place. Uh, So yeah, so I'm recording this from the new apartment. And uh, I'm very happy with this week's episode. Of course, I'm happy with every week's episode. But in this week... Uh, this week's episode, we were chatting with Everett Hill, who is an administrator, a vice principal at Concordia International School in Shanghai, China. And Everett is was kind enough to stop by the Just Asia podcast and share his insights into life in Shanghai, that gorgeous city, that famous city uh, in China. And he talks about his experiences living in the city, um, working there as uh, someone who is in international education. And of course, he also talks about riding, riding the storm, riding through the storm, riding out the storm during the pandemic and the zero COVID years in China, which I know from personal experience were not easy. So everyone, sit on back and listen to my fantastic chat with Everett Hill, all about life in Shanghai. I want to thank our guest this week for joining us on the Just Asia podcast. This week, I'm chatting with Everett Hill, who is based in Shanghai, China. Everett, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Kevin. I look forward to it. Awesome. Now, you know, each each episode we bring on people who are doing interesting things across Asia. Um, you know, I think one goal of mine is to get more more voices out of China, more voices from different countries. It tends to be a bit Japan-centric, mostly because a lot of my contacts are there. Um, but it's really awesome to have someone um, coming from a big city that I've never I've never lived in, but it's, it's always been on the radar. It's a very fascinating place. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but before we get into that, I was wondering if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, and where you live. Of course. Um, well, we'll start with where I live. Um, currently, I am living in Shanghai, China. I'm living and working here at a private international school, and we can get more of that a, a little later. Um, I hail from Washington State in the United States, uh, just south of Seattle. Um, I started as a public public school educator. Uh, worked there for worked in the states for about six years, and then got the the first bug to come overseas. And actually, my first teaching assignment was in Tokyo, Japan. Um, okay, so I was there for a couple of years. Yeah, um, at, a, at a small private school there. So, uh, and then decided to go back to the states for a few reasons, and was there for about ten years, and then decided to. 
with my family, came back overseas, and we landed in South Korea at, okay. uh, near Incheon, teaching there. Um, so there I was a, a high school PE teacher. I, I'm a PE teacher by trade, by by training. Um, so that's been the majority of my experience. Uh, also, my experience has been in international baccalaureate uh, education, so kind of the middle years program as a as a little bit more information to kind of understand where I'm at. Um, and then after six years, decided to look for a job again, as, as you do in international education. And I landed in Qingdao, China, uh, okay. just ahead of the, yeah, so landed in Qingdao, about a year ahead of COVID and everything that that brought with it. Um, found myself outside of, outside of China for a bit and then was able to get back in actually pretty quickly um, and spent the majority of COVID here in, in China, uh, was in Qingdao for about a year and a half during that. Uh, so up, in, up North, a little, a little farther, uh, North of, on the coast here in China. And then, uh, was able to get hired down here in Shanghai. And I've been there here for the last two years. I'm starting my third year here. So currently I, uh, like I said, I started as a, an elementary PE teacher, uh, by training and just kind of followed that path in the States of you get a job in the public schools. Cause that's what you do. Um, yeah. a friend of mine encouraged me to go overseas and the first time around and I took him up on it. And then we, you know, again, like I said, we went back to the States, taught in, taught back in physical education, and then came came overseas again, uh, teaching physical education, and decided to move into administration uh, after several years. So, I'm currently serving as a high school assistant principal at uh, one of the, at Concordia International School here in Shanghai. Wow, very cool, very cool, a very yeah. interesting yeah. Um, path for sure. Now, I'm, I'm just curious, you know. Um, I think I think you know you know a lot of people who who end up living abroad as kind of long-term expats always have a very interesting trajectory and story of how they got here. Now as educators um you know I've been living abroad now for 21 years and I've taught in a few countries and you know this is what I do I I teach in an international setting like you. Um you know it, mm -hmm. it I think it takes kind of a different type of person to kind of want to do what we do or at least maybe you know there's a lot of people you know <laughs> take that step but I've met a lot of people, for example, during my years of teaching internationally who maybe go abroad for a couple of years and they're like, you know what? That was a nice adventure. I'm done. Um, and then and then they go back and then that's something, you know, they'll finish their career in Canada or the States and kind of look back at those two or three years they spent somewhere like China, somewhere like Japan um, with with fondness. But it's it's a bit of a different thing, I think, for those of us who just continue to stay abroad. What is it, what is it that has been keeping you? um going internationally you know that that had you go from korea <laughs> to china and then to stay there because i mean i guess we'll jump into it more as we we talk about where you are but i mean mm -hmm. you've you've weathered quite a storm you know and 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 there you still are um so what is it about this uh international are, yeah. that keeps you there you know the, the first time we went overseas was just my wife and i and it really it really was the fantasy of it and the excitement of it and, and tokyo is a great city to live in and we thoroughly enjoyed it um just yeah the tra the, the ability to travel the ability to see things the ability to live in a to live and experience a different culture firsthand but i i know there's a there's a section of the teaching population that does that you know typically younger um, a lot of English teachers that come over and they'll do a couple of years and it's, and it's fun and it's, it's exciting, but there's a point where it does wear off and you realize that you are actually living here. This is your life. Mm -hmm. And, and it's it, once, once that excitement wears off, I think a lot of people kind of just pull the plug and, and say, you know, this has been great, but 
it's time to go back. Um, and I see that in, in some areas and, and some people really, they don't know what they're getting into when they come overseas because it is not like living in the United States or Canada or Europe. It's, it's very, very different. Um, and I've talked to a lot of people about going overseas and I say, you know, you really need to to think about all the things that could happen. Um, our first time over, like I said, was for fun. And then we just decided that wasn't us long-term. And then this time around with the family, um, you know, we landed at a, at a good school and we built up a community there and it became home, which was a little different than I experienced in the States where, you know, in the States you're in public schools, at least you live, you work with people, but you're really not a community outside of that school. Yeah. Um, you really, it, you kind of, you come to work at the site, you work there, maybe you, you know, maybe you have connections outside, but really it's, it's not the same as overseas where in your school, you are also a community um, and you, your, your friends are here, your kids play together, you're teaching other friends, kids. It really is. It really becomes tight knit. Um, and we've really enjoyed that. Um, yes, we have, we have weathered a few storms. Um, we have, we have asked ourselves, why are we still doing this? Why haven't we gone home? Um, you know, we, we've had, we've had, we landed in uh, Tokyo, Japan in 2001 in August um, you know, major event in the world that happened in September in Korea. There were some, you know, some international incidents going on there with COVID here in Shanghai. There have been a lot of moments where we, we have asked, like, do we keep doing this? Is this what is what are we doing? Is there a little bit of madness in us that keeps us here? Um, but really, it's it's a it's a community that keeps us here. It's the sense of professionalism. And, as, you know, as you said, a professional trajectory of. I would not have considered being an administrator in the States. Um, I just, just for the political reasons and such overseas though, being respected as an educator, of course, the teaching package is, is comparable or better than working back home. Uh, the retirement benefits, the ability to travel for my family, just the ability to get my kids into a new culture and have a really good education has been important. Um, you know, and my family, we have, we have parents that are getting older. That's always a concern or consideration. And to this point, we just, we really enjoy what we're doing. This is home for us. The United States has not been, when we went back this summer, we were able to travel again. And that's, that has kind of revived us. Mm -hmm. um, we, we see, we see a professional path forward, um, advancements in our careers for both of us that we may not have back in back where we're from. Yeah. And that that has kept us there. And just and now that we're able to travel, like we're already talking about where are we going to go in the world this year that we haven't been, where are we going to take yeah. our kids to? What have what haven't we seen? And there's 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 a renewed excitement in that that as a family and talking to friends who may also travel with us, again, that sense of community. Um it's it's been really positive and it's been something that's kept us here. And you know, currently we're at a school that has a faith basis as well. So that, that's been an added bonus for us. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you I, I totally get you that with, uh, especially when you're talking about the the sense of community, which is really something mm -hmm. maybe you don't, you know, you don't experience. Um, you definitely don't experience. And I've heard that. That's, that's one of the things I've heard from teachers mm -hmm. who I worked with, for example, a few years back in Beijing, I worked with a, a couple of fantastic educators who went back to Canada. And that's one of the first things they said. They're like, ah, life's all right, but there's no community here. We don't have that community. And I'm like, yeah. and, and that's exactly what they said. They, they, they go to work. 
they kind of, you know, they go to school and then everyone has their own separate lives. And when school's done for the day, work's done, everyone just heads off and everyone has their lives. Where they were used to, in Beijing where we were, we actually had on-campus housing. So there's even more ah, of that sense okay. of community than, you know, you could possibly imagine because we're all in the same building. We're all there. And, uh, but yeah, so, I, you know, Shanghai, Shanghai is a city yep. that I have not had a chance to visit um, since 2003, actually. And oh, wow. I... And I'm sure it's changed a great deal. Um, it is uh, a city that was on our was on the radar on the map. We wanted to visit there, but then COVID happened. We were in Shenzhen. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. During the whole time, we just left in May of this year, and we never had that chance to get up there. Um, what is it about? And I've heard I've heard so many wonderful things. Actually, I've had quite a few colleagues of mine, former colleagues um, from Shekou International School, have actually moved up to mm-hmm. um, to work in Shanghai American, um, Concordia, okay. different places. Um, so I'm curious, what is it about Shanghai um, that makes it a great place to live? And uh, yeah, let me know, what, what is it you like about the city? I, you know, this when we came here, um, like when our previous school in Qingdao, uh, you know, Qingdao is a bit more of a rural, I, I don't want to say more Chinese city because that's not a good way to say it, but it's a more, it feels more local. It feels more like like China would be, kind of the it's a great, it's a great place to live. You get the mountains and you've got the beach there and there's just, there's hiking and there's all kinds of stuff you can do. And it really was a wonderful city. Um, Shanghai is definitely more metropolitan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the, you've got the downtown, the ultra modern, um, the third, second or third highest tower in the world is, is in Shanghai. Um, I, I can't remember if they finished the, the other one that was going to be ahead of it. So <laughs> I don't know if it's the second or third yet. Um, there's just, it has historically had a great just expat culture that's mm-hmm. been that's that's been challenged in the past few years because you know as as a country locked down a lot of people got out um, and yeah. and people that have actually been in shanghai five or more years ago say it has significantly changed now the you know the other side of that it's it's a massive city you have art centers you have the old French concession where you have these amazing in the, and along the bun, you have these amazing historical buildings that date, you know, early you know, 1900s. Um, and you've got, you've got that kind of history, history, rich history and tradition. And then the other side is you got the ultra modern that you can see both. Um, it's, it's a busy, busy city. There's 27 million people in here and there are a lot of people that come and visit. Um, one of the comments recently has been as, as Shanghai is open is that the Bund has been and all the tourist places have been incredibly packed. So people are now able to come back. So you get there's a sense of excitement in life and things are always happening. There's there's music, there's festivals, there's things that are coming back again that that have that have kind of been missing. Um yeah. our first year here was our first two years here really were were directly impacted by COVID. So we weren't able to we weren't able to get out much and in it um, since we've been the fall or the spring. And then now into the fall, we're getting out and you, you can just get to, you can get to a place and get off the tr- the subway and just start walking. And you can find like, you can find modern shopping malls with high end sales to uh, also like little back streets. If you're willing to kind of, if you're comfortable walking down some back streets and just kind of tour old China that is still here in the middle of this amazing city. And then, you know, an hour or a couple of hours later, you go back and get on, get on your subway and come back. So transportation system is great. There's a couple of, you know, a couple of international airports here that are easy, easier now to travel now that uh, travel is opening up again. Um, but it's, there, there has been a, a 
fairly solid expat population, um, especially in places that ex- the expat teachers are living. Uh, they, we tend to cluster in hubs, I'm sure, much like you yeah. experienced, where we all kind of live in the same same couple of compounds near each other. So you get to you get to see people from like Shanghai American and Dulwich and Concordia and uh, you know Dwight and SCIS all kind of live in the same community. So you're not just seeing the same people from your school, but you can reach out. There's a lot of great connections. Uh, with there's, let's see, there's uh, you know, the athletic side with the schools. There's a lot of athletics and activities that are going on, especially in the big schools. Kids can really get engaged in that. Um, travel is coming back for those events. Um, the education is great. Uh, living is living was surprisingly easy. I thought it would be very difficult when I first came to China, um, and after living in South Korea, which it was fairly fairly comfortable. It actually surprised me that China was a little easier to kind of navigate and manage. Um, and I was surprised by that. The language is difficult, um, yeah. but if you can start to learn some of it, you, know, you do, you do well, but it's, it's a, it's a really easy place to live. There's a lot of like Shanghai and Beijing as well. Some of the big cities have Costco's and they have Walmarts and they have Ikea. So mm-hmm. kind of familiar Western things. And then yeah. as well as the tra- very traditional Chinese you know, parks and, and temples and shrines and, and those. So it's like, we've just truly, we've just scratched the surface of, of the city. And we've been, we've been excited because my travels last summer, I stayed here as my family went home, mm-hmm. everything was kind of shut down and quiet. And it was, it was still an amazing city just to, just to walk the streets and see the architecture and see the the waterways and, and kind of envision what it could be. And now as it's, as it's come back to life, um, I think we're going to see a very different Shanghai and hopefully the expat population also returns and, and brings back kind of that. It's a, it's a great city with that involved. And it's, it's a little different than I think a lot of other places in China with, with, you know, the, the international business and, and such. So it's, yeah, like I said, I, I, I love the city. I love just being around here, the community, the fun stuff. I like going, seeing the water, seeing all the places you can just see and get out and people are, the people are lovely. Um, so that's, that's also, you know, that's, that's a wonderful piece and lovely and friendly and just it, locals and expats alike. And it's, it's something that is, it's just fun. Um, it's, it is an expensive city though. That's, that's a reality because it's a, it's a top tier city in the world. So if you're not in a school or a business that can provide a, a salary that's commensurate with, you know, the cost of living, that, that would be a challenge. I mean, that would be my one caution. Um, but as, as it comes out, we've just, we've had a lot of fun just these last couple of weeks coming back and seeing the the life and kind of renewed spirit of the city. Mm-hmm. I would assume that um, for you and your family's experience, I mean, the, the fact that you were there through COVID um, now um, coming back to Shanghai and say August, 2023, it's, it's probably in many ways like coming back to, to a new city. Um, I would assume um, because I mean, I, you know, I, comparable. I was in Shenzhen, which is also a top tier city, one of the the four top, mm. uh, tier one cities in China. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we watched the expat population just evaporate. In mm-hmm. we if we first arrived there in 2019 um, in August, when and and everything was just amazing, and there was a very vibrant, mm-hmm. it, much smaller than Shanghai. I know the mm-hmm. the expat community, um, all in the Shaco area, and yep. um, when when things got got rough. I mean, just a lot of people left and they just never came back. A lot of visas never yeah. were never reissued. A lot of shops shuttered and companies moved mm-hmm. on. Um, but anecdotally, 
in the, the few months before we left, we were seeing more foreigners around. We were seeing mm-hmm. new faces on the streets. We were seeing, you know, expats in different, you know, pubs and coffee shops that we had never seen before. Yeah. So there was like, I was kind of smiling that it looked like, you know, there was maybe mm-hmm. on it, maybe in a small scale, but things looked like they were rebounding. Um, and I'm sure in Shanghai, that's going to be in a bigger scale because it is such an e- an international economic hub. Um, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all dependent you know, on decisions above us, right? It's yeah, yeah. The, the people I, the people I experience with, I experience and interact with on a daily basis are, you know, work in this community or they work in other, you know, other businesses that are close by. And, you know, it's, you know, we're all, we have no problems. We're, we get along well, we're excited to see, see people coming back and there are people coming back and people that are coming to China now want to be in China. Yeah. Um, but of course it's the, it's the bigger economic interests and political interests at play is sometimes you know, discourage people from coming or discourage businesses from sending people. So hopefully that can uh, smooth over. I mean, we can continue to see those, the, you know, the vibrant international community coming back. Yeah. Now, when I mentioned Quickly, earlier, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. For those, for those yeah. listening, um, you know, uh, around the world and I know, you know, a lot of, I think the majority of my listeners uh, are based in the States. Um, mm. and I think the second biggest number are actually um, based in Japan, uh, Japan based expats. Oh, okay. But for those who, you know, weren't in China during the zero COVID years and, um, you know, obviously, you know, I mentioned the term you weathered a storm and I'm curious, you know, those, mm-hmm. those weren't easy years being in China. And I'm wondering, you know, I listened, uh, recently to an episode of your podcast, one that you recorded and we'll go into your podcast shortly. Um, mm. um, there was an episode I listened to you, you recorded as you were walking, I think to work or walking on campus. And it was at a time when there was like online learning. So the campus was kind of empty and you were talking mm-hmm. about the idea of being kind to yourself, being kind to others and it being a time mm-hmm. that was really hard on people. So it's and more than any other time, it was a time to be kind to yourself and kind to others. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering what are some of the kind of lessons you took from that time being in China? What are some of the things you learned about yourself, your coworkers, your family, um, Big question, <laughs> but I mean, those of us who did weather the storm, I mean, I, it, it changed me as a person and I think it made mm-hmm. me, it definitely made me a much stronger human um, for it. Um, I'm wondering what were mm-hmm. some of your takeaways from, from that time? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that's uh that's no small question there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's this summer as I was back and visiting family and friends and, you know, for the first time really in about four years, it's very difficult to explain. It's I, you probably have the same experience. It's difficult yes. to explain what happened, what we went through, what we experienced here in China, um, in, in the interest of zero COVID and and China managing COVID uh, mm-hmm. itself. Um, you know, it was just it was we all as I've said to some of the staff that I work with, we all if we were here, we all have a story. Yeah, everyone's got a story. We all we all have experiences, and they're all different, and they're all varied, and they're all similar in some ways. Um, you know, going through it, you know, one of the, the immediate things was, you know, not to take anything for granted um, because you, world conditions can change rapidly um, and your life can be, you know, significantly impacted. And then, you know, the value of my family, um, family and friends and community uh, as things got rough here and they did. And like, I was in a community where I live that we were able to interact on some levels and, build friendships and, and connect with people and just the power of relationships uh, to kind of help you get through because 
not only were they you know, sometimes a listening board, sometimes you know, we, we were able to get out and walk kind of in our own little community and just, mm. you know, grumble and, and, you know, complain about all the same things. Um, also these, these were people that were helping you out when, when you needed, you know, if you needed food or you needed, you know, somebody to kind of help, you know, something of, of the, any, any number of things you can need. Um, it's really the power of taking care of yourself and your social and emotional self. We, we take it so much for granted that our social wellness or our emotional wellness is just going to be okay because life is generally okay. And then, you know, for three years we lived under the the threat of you know, the government coming in um, because we were a close contact or tested positive for COVID and could be in a facility for 14 to 21 days. So, you know, that, and this summer, especially um, I think that that really hit me as you know, just kind of sitting and decompressing and able to get th- process some of this, what we've been through the last couple of years, you know, trying to be kind to yourself, trying to take care of yourself, trying to you know, find, find things to do that are hobbies that are not, you know, that, that aren't connected to the school that take care of yourself, trying to you know, keep exercising and just kind of maintain a good sense about things when it really feels like the world's closing in on you. Um, and yeah. we, you know, I was very fortunate that I had, I had some opportunities other staff members didn't. And then, you know, at the same time, you know, being kind to myself and, and you know, recognize that I was struggling with this, um, mm. you know, as, as were many of my colleagues that there were other colleagues that had it much worse and also just you know, trying to be a, a listening board for them. Um, and, and it really kind of hit me at the end of the last year as we were finishing up and we were, able to start traveling just the number of teachers who I who I talked with at the end of the year who just they they just kind of hit a point where they just they had to come and they just had to kind of vent and they had to get stuff off their chest and and they would talk to me about issues and things it's not really an issue I just I don't know why I'm upset I just need to get this out yeah and as we started really to see the like the beginnings of dealing with all that stress and the impact of several years of being here and then the recognition that we could get out. And, you know, it's that release that has been so important and coming out the other side mm-hmm. with our students, you know, me as an, as an adult, you know, having a fairly well-developed sense of uh, skills to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I think of my students and especially like my children who don't have those skills and who went through the exact same thing and they were suffering that much more. Um, and really just as a, as education, which is kind of where I started with the classrooms in crisis podcast was you know, one sharing my experiences and just recognizing that there's a lot of things in education that really are hard for kids. We as adults can deal with it well, but kids really don't, they don't have the skills and we, we need to rethink how we're doing things to, to move forward. So yeah. lessons I've learned, man, I don't know. They, I, I've learned a lot just about like, taking care of myself, being who you are. Um, don't end up in a country that's going to lock down for COVID. I, you know, um, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah but, I was just going to say, but another, like, there's so much I'm, I'm like, when I'm, I'm listening to you, what you're talking about. And I mean, I'm just like shaking my head like, yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. I, I don't even, I mean, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm how many months out of China now and I'm, I'm settled, I'm settling into mm. Malaysia for a new kind of new life, new position. And I don't, know if I have really completely processed yet what I went through over those years. And that's one of the things when I was this summer, you know, in Japan, talking to friends and family, then in Canada, no one, unless they've been through it, can understand what you went through. 
And, um, yeah. so, you know, and, and I, again, I don't even know if I can process exactly, but like the, some of the things I've mm-hmm. just taken away from what you said, um, you know, I, I you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in my late forties, you know, I was born in the seventies and I, I come from the mm-hmm. whole like suck it up buttercup kind of frame of mind as a kid. I mean, how many times did I oh, hear yeah. from my dad or from uh, a coach, <laughs> right? Oh yeah. Um, you know, my, my, my spouse is Japanese. You lived in Japan. You know about the kambare, yeah. kambare, gaman, oh, yeah. suck, you know, that, which means a fight through mm-hmm. things, suck, suck it yep. up. So I, I come from a kind of personal culture of never using terms like well-being or thinking of myself in that way. But I really think this, oh, yeah. whole, this whole experience really changed that for me. Um, it really did. And I think like yeah. what you even mentioned, some of the things, um, two episodes of this podcast ago, the Just Asia podcast, I did an episode simply about mm-hmm. hobbies in Japan. And I interviewed oh, two yeah. of my friends who are long-term expats and they talked about hobbies. And that's one of the things that mm-hmm. they said um, um, at the end of the podcast, and they both agreed, was that when you're an expat, even living far away from home, mm-hmm. living in a in a foreign land, a good hobby, a hobby that mm-hmm. grounds you and makes you really happy, it's amazing how important mm-hmm. something like that can be to keep you sane. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that was, and that was one of the reasons I kind of got into pod, into a little bit of podcasting, and when things were a little calmer, of course, is you know seeing that you're stuck, you're kind of stuck. It's like, well this is something I can actually set up at home and do. And, you know, a couple of uh, a friend of mine and I started, started a, an IB one and we've since, you know, st- uh, stopped that simply because I've left the international baccalaureate, but, but it was something I could do at home and I can get into. And it was, you know, you've got internet. It's like, Oh, yep. I can jump on the internet and research this. I can figure out how to do this. What do I need? Why don't you set it up? And it's, you know, and, and it gives you sense and direction and it's, yeah. You know, it kind of takes your takes your mind off things for a while and, oh, and sometimes you just need those breaks yeah. oh absolutely like and and that's yeah. um and so let's let's uh, there's there's a great a great springboard right there let's talk about education <laughs> um what was it the um i'm sorry my i'm having um a crisis in education i was going to say education and crisis but the crisis in education um mm-hmm. you've already mm-hmm. mentioned that you you had this podcast and one of the things you know mm-hmm. um yeah so the, tell me tell me about where that came from and i know you've mentioned that it's it's not currently active but hey um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure maybe, maybe this will motivate and when you have some time, some more episodes will come, but tell us about the, the, the kind of, uh, the, what was behind that podcast and, um, you know, what, 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 what is, what is it all about? So I, I originally started one with a friend of mine, Dominic Dele, who is now, um, he's now doing a lot of work with DEIJ and international schools. And I think he's in Vietnam at this time. Um, and he and I, he had an idea about sharing, um, physical education physical and health education concepts in the myp and I, I really said you know we should like well it was one of those things where i said you know you should really should do this like either a video cast or a podcast and he said great why don't you set it up <laughs> the, and thus began the uh physical education in the myp podcast um and we we shared that and then we kind of had both had different interests as covid was hitting mm-hmm. um and then I just I had you know, I had the equipment I had things I was you watching social media during as COVID was hitting and schools were dealing with it and I just recognized that so many of the things education says it does it really didn't do them as well as we thought I mean mm-hmm. online teaching being of course the most obvious one when and educators don't get me wrong I'm by no means. Uh, degrading or abusing or saying any unkind things about educators, educators are forced to flip to online learning very quickly. Yes. Yeah. But the, and, and they did, and we as educators did an amazing job in the time we had and, and some, some fantastic work has come out of it. 
Um, but at the time, you know, education was education thought it was really good using technology and setting things up. We could go to online learning and how hard would that be? And then you, you recognize just all the issues around that. Yeah. You know, one being the social emotional, it, you know, kids are at home on devices and are they actually taking, doing school? What about you know, in where I was, every kid had access to a device and internet that worked and they were able to get online. But when you look in the States, that was not a reality. There were kids who couldn't access anything and school just became a, a non-thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then the social emotional piece out of it. And then that just what just followed on was the myriad of issues that kind of people threw out um, or have thrown out about education and the negative aspects of it. And so I just had a desire to, you know, I'm, I was in China. What are they going to do to me? I'm, you know, they're not going to chase me down. They're not, <laughs> they're not going to, no, not many people are going to come and knock on my door and ask me questions about it. So I could kind of throw some ideas out there and say, I was reading this and this is what I experienced. And yeah. my experience in a public school, a private international school in a couple of different countries. This, this is my view on it. Um, you know, not everyone agreed with it and that's okay. And, uh, it, it, it was, it was something that I enjoyed. And then as we got farther and kind of deeper into, into COVID, it just got harder to stay motivated, to be honest. Um, and then when I came here to Shanghai and I shifted positions, um, into an administrative role, like that just ate up my time. So I wasn't able to do it. Um, but it's, it is something I'd like, I, I keep seeing and I see the, the idea of, you know, crises or turning points and, and opportunities for people, or they can be, yeah, it's an opportunity to go one direction or another and you get to choose and it maybe it's something i'm going to come back with i need to i need to kind of figure out what i would what i would talk about with that i kind of i enjoyed it it was just you know it's just my own public personal opinion um based on either educational experience or i was trying to base it in research or news news media was coming out so it was trying to be consistent but you know, some of it also kind of got depressing so it was a little bit hard to keep keep some of those i mean some of the issues are, are are pretty negative like if you start talking about school shootings um mm. that's a pretty depressing topic in the united states and yeah it's very it's very different overseas or you know health or you know, any any number of things that are out there so i mean i think i think education is at a turning point i think COVID has just drove that forward at a rapid pace um mm. i think we're, we're at a point where we can make something really good um, that education can turn itself to some really good directions. We just need to shake off some of the old stuff we've done and be willing to really willing and open to embrace technology, to embrace the entrepreneurial spirit yeah. um, and to, to embrace like other learning models than perhaps we have chosen or desired. Um, but ed education has got to change. And I think, I think it could change for the better and, where I'm at. Fortunately, I work with some amazing people um, that are doing some things like that. And maybe I've thought about that in this past year, just, yeah, but I didn't have the the headspace to be able to do it. But there are some people doing some amazing things. I'd love to start, you know, getting to them and talking to them and see like, what, like Absolutely. What, where are the opportunities found and how are you, how have you taken the challenges that we've experienced the last few years and made some opportunities to move forward? So yeah. Um, that was, yeah, that's kind of the premise and it's, it, it still sits there and it's, you know, it still gets to listen now and then. So I'll have to, 
have to go back and have a think about how I might uh, re yeah. restart. Uh, yeah, that. yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, crisis in education, folks. There's going to be a link below in the show notes, and um, yeah, to definitely. I mean, there's a lot of inspirational people, and you're in a position where you're you're working with them, you're meeting them as the world opens up, China opens up. Um, you know, I know people. You're going to be able to get to go and travel and do PD and and do oh, conferences yeah. and and actually do the kind of the the old fashioned physical networking and not have to just do Zoom yeah. all the time. <laughs> um, and I'm sure you're going to oh, be yeah. able to meet some probably some fantastic people that can. Um, give you some ideas and and, and from my own personal yeah. experience i've been podcasting since 2008 i think um okay. i've always tended that to find that when i get to bring other people on the podcast it excites me it motivates me and that yeah. always keeps me going and um we talk about those hobbies over the years there's been people i've interviewed who i've when i've when i've turned off the the Skype call recorder is what I used to use pre-Zoom. Um, I used to <laughs> oh, yeah, just, I remember that. I used to be just bouncing off the walls when I'd walk out mm-hmm. of the uh, the room. I, I still remember um, the first time I got to talk to um, um, James Reynolds, who is a, a friend of all the podcasts I do. And he is um, mm. Earth Uncut TV based out of um, mm. Japan. He does like all the uh, – he's the guy who gets in front of hurricanes when they come, when everyone else is getting oh, wow. away. And, and he's like <laughs> – what does he call himself an extreme weather videographer? So he records all the footage, okay. which he then sells to CNN and Discovery Channel, National Geographic. Um, interviewing people like that, just was like, wow. Oh, yeah. What am I doing with my <laughs> life? You know, but um, yeah. it's okay. We need people like him so yeah. I can be safe here to talk to them. Um, but That's yeah, right. so I, I don't want to keep you too much longer because I know it's yeah. also, there's a big football match on now. But it's also there, a little bit of one. We've, we've, we both got work in the morning and stuff. I'm curious. Oh yeah. Those, for those who are interested in, um, living in Shanghai or even pursuing, um, you know, a career or dabbling in international education, what is some advice you would give to those who maybe want to come to Shanghai? And for those maybe who are just thinking about maybe taking their first, you know, experience, you know, working abroad, what would you, what would you say to those folks? You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't narrow it down to Shanghai just because like Shanghai is a beautiful city. It is amazing. There is a lot to see and do here. It's very metropolitan. It's a big city and there's a lot of opportunity and in China as well. Um, I would, I would take a more broad approach. And when, when I've talked to people, cause I haven't, I have been asked about this and uh, you know, what, like, what do you, when people ask me what it would take to get into, into education and internationally, they're usually asking like, is it even a real possibility? Like, could could I do this? Is is kind of the question that comes out. It's not really a hey, I want to do what you're doing and live there. It's could I live overseas? And I think that's that's the biggest hurdle for most people. And it's the realization that yes, there are what I, I don't even know what the number are. I've heard between seven and ten thousand international schools in the world. There's probably more. I don't I don't know. There's a lot of them. That needless yeah. to say. So there is a very real opportunity for good educators to go overseas. All right, the first thing that educators have to get past is that that's not a real option. Like, because I mean, there's a there's a significant fear factor to that, and mm. and you got to recognize that in yourself. And I I do I have told friends of mine who thought about going overseas, you know, get a sit down with your your partner, or your family, and you know, have a cup of coffee or tea, or you know, go to a pub or you know, something. But really, just kind of talk about: is it something that you'd want to do? Is a life overseas? You know, c- could you see yourself living overseas, not just traveling? And then kind of talk about all the all the ideas around it. And then, if the answer is you know, love to give this a try, you can start with a two year contract. Two to three year contracts are typical in international education. Um, in China, the, the, a lot of two and three year contracts. 
and you can get kind of a taste of it. So two years is two years can be a long time, but it can also be a real short time, but it gives you a real good sense of, is this something you want to do long-term? I mean, our first contract was two years. We said, yep, this is great. We're done. Went back. And then 10 years later, we find ourselves um, entering year 11, 12 now, 12 now um, overseas this time and three different countries. So it's really, there's a willingness to take a risk and people are afraid of that. And it's, Mm. it's seeing that it's safe, know that it's safe to do to take that step. Most of the countries you're going to go to are safe. Um, The schools are going to take care of you. The packages are good. Like you're like a lot of the base level stuff is there, but it's really just a willingness to step out. And then also just recognizing where in the world do you want to live? Um, Shanghai is amazing. I found myself in Asia. We've tried to actually leave Asia and it's just kind of kept us here for different reasons. And we've been blessed to be here. Um, We've got, we've got great jobs and great careers. Um, But there are people who far prefer Europe or South America or Africa or I mean they're they're just amazing places around the world and you can find a spot that you'd really love um but as you know as far as advice to to it just if you're thinking about it you know reach out to those of us that are overseas and let's talk I'm happy to tell you how to do it and how to get started in this there's a lot of a lot of pathways in um if you've got a couple of years experience in education um, you, there's probably a place in the world that would, would be interested in you. Um, quality of education is good. The quality of life for families is good. Um, the ability for career advancement is different than in schools in North America and perhaps Europe as well. Um, and I, it's, it's worth pursuing and don't, don't get, don't allow others to tell you that, no, you can't do this. Um, mm. because you, you can, it is possible and it, and there are people that are willing to help you to, to find that path forward. Awesome. Yeah. Great advice. Um, I, I agree what he said, everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I want to, I just want to wrap things up. I want to, first of all, thank you so much for mm-hmm. taking the time to share your, your story, um, your ideas and, and everything else we've talked about tonight. And I'm curious, where can people find you on social media? If they want to see uh, where you're at, what you're doing. Um, yeah. Let's see. I'm on LinkedIn at Everett Hill. Uh, you can find me. I'm teaching at Concordia International School, so pretty easy there. I'm also on. I'm intermittently active on Twitter. Um, Everett is. Um, I think it's Everett is still. Is that what I, is that what mine is? I keep forgetting. It is <laughs> all these is, social media Everett names. Is, is, to keep, Everett yep, is Everett, one. Everett is and the number one. Yeah, Everett is one. That's right. There was somebody else that Everett is. So hard to keep track of all these names. So those are the two spots you can find me. Um, I'm on some other places, but I'm really not active. But those are the two that you can find me at. Fantastic, folks. And I'll share those links in the show notes underneath the podcast. Go check him out. Go give him a follow to see what he's up to. And uh, yeah, so again, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by the Just Asia podcast. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Now, I want to thank Everett for taking the time to stop by the Gestation Podcast. Of course, check out the show notes and follow all the links we talked about. Follow him on Twitter. Check out his podcast, Education in Crisis. And uh, yeah, go find those links. They're all below in the show notes. Now, for all of you who are listening, maybe for the first time, there's different ways you can, of course, follow the Just Asia Podcast. You can, of course, follow me, Kevin O'Shea, on Twitter at Mad for Maple. I should say X. You can follow me on Instagram at jlandkev. I also have a professional Instagram um, at Shizen Wildlife. And of course, over on the Just Asia Podcast Facebook group, 
All those links will be below in the show notes. And uh, yeah, so I'm, again, I'm settling into life here in Malaysia, and it's, it's been pretty cool. Um, it's very different where I'm living. I'm used to living in big cities. Of course, for the last 21 years, I lived in Seoul, Korea, lived in Busan, Korea, Kobe, Japan. I've been in Osaka, Japan, Beijing, China, Shenzhen, China. But now this part of Malaysia is definitely more countryside that I'm used to, and um, I'm liking it. It's pretty cool. It's an adjustment for everyone in my family. It's a very slow pace of life, and uh, that's, that's really cool. I think we'll have a lot more time to kind of focus on ourselves and become more relaxed in life, and uh, I think uh, it's, it's, it's a great choice for sure. Um, now that we're settled in our new place with Wi-Fi, with all of these things, um, you know, uh, things are only going to be looking up. One thing I have to admit bit of a challenge right now because we don't really have very much furniture. Um, but as we get more furniture, we can kind of settle in even more. Well, folks, that does it for another episode of the Just Asia podcast. Again, my name is Kevin O'Shea. I am an international educator based in currently in Malaysia. And um, yeah, it's my 21st year living in Asia. So go check out again the Just Asia Facebook page the Just Asia Podcast Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and all of those places. And again, please help our podcast grow. Share with other people you know if you're interested in this kind of thing. If you are, I'm sure you'll have a friend or two who are as well. Word of mouth helps us grow. And uh, thank you so much for leaving a review leaving a rating wherever you listen to us. That also helps us grow. And of course, every time I put out a new episode of the podcast, if you're someone who's on Twitter, you'll know that I, I put out a barrage of tweets on social media. I share on Instagram and Facebook. Please retweet the things I send out. Please reshare on Facebook. Help the episode grow. Help the podcast grow. All right, well, guys, that does it for me. I hope you enjoyed this episode, learning all about life in Shanghai from the perspective of someone, um, yeah, who, is, who went through quite an experience, you know, living through zero COVID, uh, quite an ordeal. And um, now Everett and his family can enjoy life in a normal Shanghai. All right, guys, well, that does it. Thank you so much, wherever you are in the world. I hope you're happy, I hope you're healthy, and I will be talking to you again very soon. <laughs>